Hello world, this is Allison Pipitone. In this podcast, we talk about music and those of us who do it for a song. Welcome to The Great Unsung. Well, it took a long time to get this tall drink of water to come onto my podcast. Tom Stahl was one of the first people I invited, and he was, in fact, the first person to say no to me. <laughs> Nevertheless, I persisted, and 16 episodes later, he said yes. Tom is a prolific, consistently skillful, and gifted songwriter. He's a genuine, awesome guy. And it seems to me he does a great job of noticing the details in life, the beautiful, the heartbreaking, the absurd details. And he does a great job of putting those observations into songs. Sit back, relax. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Great Unsung. Tom Stahl, thank you for being on my podcast. I'm, I'm just honored to be here. You said you're tired. I am. It's been a long week. A long week, yeah. You said that... I did not sleep drunk. very you much. You didn't sleep? Why? I don't know. You, you I don't, don't know. sleep? Or you well, I did a benefit sleep? last night, and I was just all in my head after it. And, oh. And uh, it was for someone who passed away. And, well... And so I was just like, eh. That'll do it. Yeah. If you're in your head and something like that. Well... Maybe this will get you out of your head because I want to show you. <laughs> I want to show you another Tom Stall. Okay? Do you know? I don't know if you've listened that, to my yeah, podcast. Yeah, I do. I know. <clears throat> I bet you I know these guys. This Not one. personally, but I bet you I looked them up and I saw. Oh, Let's I, find should out. I guess? No. Is, well, guess his name. Tom Stall. Oh, yes, <laughs> you do know. Yeah. Okay. Um, should I guess what they do? No. Okay, go ahead. You're you're ruining this game. But okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Guess what they do. I think one's an artist. He paints like landscapes. No, nope. not him. What? I didn't find him. No, nope. really. Not that one. The Keep insurance a- agent from um, Ohio. Uh, nope. Damn. Where'd you find all these this town guy's stalls? This in San Francisco. No kidding. Yeah. I love my heart in San Francisco. Well, he. Well, his heart. He I didn't, didn't really. I used to live there though. I want to. I actually know that about you, and I want to talk mm-hmm. about that. But let's see if you have other things in common with this Tom Stell. First of all, you both live have lived in San Francisco. He spent 15 years in the high tech sector in San Francisco. Did you? No, I did not. <laughs> <clears throat> he um, is a CF or COO currently. Have I you don't ever really been know a what COO? that means? Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Like a pigeon? <laughs> a stool pigeon. Yeah, I've been a stool pigeon once or twice. He, um, hold on. He actually was, he served on the foundation board of the Benjamin Franklin International School in Barcelona, Spain. How do you know you're supposed to say Barcelona? <laughs> have you been to Spain? No, I just lived. You know, you have to say it like yeah, so Barcelona because of the king or something. He had a lisp and oh, is that made, how it yeah, started? And he made everybody pronounce it like that. Barcelona. Yeah, I don't know what in king Barcelona. It was. Yeah. 
Oh my God. That's Should we lift trivia? The whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> we might end up doing it. All right, here's one for you knock knock. Who's there? Panther. Panther who? <laughs> <laughs> Panther, no Panther, I'm going swimming. <laughs> Okay. All right, let's keep going. This Tom Stahl has a BS in engineering from Duke. That's bullshit. <laughs> All right, I have to turn your recording down because you're you're. I'm you're too loud. So, yeah, you're so hot. Your signal is hot, Tom. You got a hot signal, it's but I'm sure just Lou the temperature. <laughs> How are you going to put this together? Okay, wait. wait. Are we just going to be laughing back and forth this Tom the whole Stahl, time? Wait. This Tom Stahl worked in China. Have you ever worked in China? Uh, kind of. You have? How? Well, I work with Chinese uh, students, so that's... Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, good. And he speaks Mandarin, Chinese, do you? Uh, Nihama. That's so good. He also No, it's hello. Worked... It's not so good. It's hello. Oh. <laughs> I, think, I think so good is xia uh, xia. No, actually, she, she is. Thank you're you. Like no, the, you're like the exact same Tom Stahl. That's me. Wait, software programmer? Have you ever been that? No. An electrical engineer? No. A short order cook? No. A paper boy? Not really. Kind of. <laughs> we got fired. Well, in his... You did? Yeah. What was the Metro? And me and my friend Sean, they gave us like 800 to deliver on like... So many streets. And, like, when we were done with the streets, there were like still, like, 400 left. And so we didn't know what to do with them, so we just started dumping them in the, the car dealerships along Bailey Avenue yeah, and stuff. that does not sound like a good idea. Yeah, they First didn't of all, like you're it. not recycling, but I don't think... Well, nobody recycled was, back then. This so was ancient this, times. You weren't an adult at this and time. And nobody <laughs> read the magazine or the paper anyway. It was... Let's keep going. One more thing. In his spare time, he's an avid traveler and an award-winning photographer. That's not me either. You don't know yet. Will you take a picture of me when we're done? We could take a selfie and we'll see if we win any awards. Yeah, okay. Okay, so I'm going to give you this picture and description of Tom Stahl. You get to take that home with you. Wow. I don't do that with every guest, just so you know. Wait a minute. This is a girl. No, it's the one in the middle. Oh, <laughs> I thought they were all three Tom Stall. No, this is just one. It's just one Tom. And you Stahl. didn't pick the, the the painter? Nope, I didn't. I picked that one. Well, thanks a lot. I think I would have rather had the. No, this guy's okay. Listen, put it now. Put it down the picture because yeah. we're moving on. Okay. We, you and I, we have a actually we have somewhat of a parallel career line, wouldn't you say? Yeah. In the early 90s, we both moved back here from California, I think. I was back for a few years. Okay. Um, and then we sort of got kind of, well, we got popular in, in the western New York area and a little bit beyond in the 90s, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, a little bit. It was kind of weird. It was, And it was similar, and we both had. One of the things, actually, I have on my list to talk to you about is, if you don't mind talking about it, anxiety. In the beginning, I had so many problems with anxiety. Almost to the point that it, well, it was very hard for me to perform sometimes. Didn't you have some, some... I would, it took me forever to go to an open mic. I just... Let's start It was there. ridiculous. Yeah. I wasn't going to, like, go and sing in front of people. So, 
Do you remember when we both lived on LaSalle Avenue yes, in Kenmore? I do. We both lived on the same street. Uh-huh. We didn't know each other yet. No, we didn't. And we were both aspiring singer-songwriters. Yeah. True? True. I um, wouldn't lie to you. So, I guess I want to start here with you, this uh-huh. question. How do you define success? Being able to afford a pizza. Really? When you want it. Okay. If you want it, yeah. Um, have you had to redefine your version of success throughout the years? Huh. Wow, that's a heavy question. Not really. I always thought it would just be nice. Well, it'd be nice to make a living doing what you like. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, that doesn't seem to be too much to ask, don't you think? Like, yeah, seriously. Yeah, well, it is kind of because a lot of people like just go to jobs that are a drag, and you know, you're just doing it for the money. So it's it's a lot of people's. Did, did you thing. ever think when you started playing out music? Did you ever think that it was going to be? this sort of lifelong relationship with it? Uh, once I started, it was, it like was really easy. Like, just doing it, like writing songs, I was like, wow, that's, I can do this. I was really, and then like people just like were, hey, could you do this? And I said, sure, I'll play there, and will you do this? And I'll play there, and I was like opening for all these people, and, and, this is like after doing it for maybe like six months or something. Yeah. And and I think like a lot of some people in town were like, how did he get that gig? And because some would ask me, hey, how'd you get to open for Dave Mason? I was like, I don't know. They asked me. So my whole journey has been just kind of being there. <laughs> yeah. I haven't put a real, like a real strong effort into the business side and, you know, much to the detriment, I guess, to my career, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know about that question. I, you know, by the way, the, the new model for being a, a performer... Is to do it yourself. Is to do it yourself. And I'm not a do-it-yourself at all. Do you think um, that is because of our formative years? When we started doing this, there, the barrier to entry was record labels. And getting signed, right? Yeah. And our in our mind, it was so ingrained in us, I think, is that your job was to get to the attention of the record labels and let someone sign you. Yeah. I think that's probably always been my mentality. Just You just go and be as good as you can be and, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, and someone will discover you. But don't, do you see, like, now when I stop and think about it, I'm like, that is such a skewed way to think about our success, like about whether or not we make it, so to speak, is someone else gets to tell us if we're good or not. Like, I mean, isn't that such a weird oh, way to think of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I get it. That's why this so, new model is kind of cool. But I don't know. It's like success for me is uh, like finishing a song. Okay. Like going out and performing is fun. I like doing it. I hate getting there, but I get like 
goosebumps like when I finish a song or just get a line I was like wow where did that come from that's see really- we are like that's the same for me like my um heart or my soul or whatever lies with the actual process of the writing of the song right yeah why do you say the getting there you like being on stage why is the getting there the tough part I like being home <laughs> I like staying home <laughs> I just like being home and it's uh, that's I remember I uh, opened for Joan Osborne at Nietzsche's, and uh, it was a Friday night, and I think, and I got like an ovation, like people asked me for an extra song, Mm -hmm. and um, it was uh, 11.30 when she was going on, and I listened to one song, I said, I'm going home. And I went home, and like two weeks later, I was watching MTV, and she was on there singing. I said, oh, wow, I know. <laughs> I opened for her. I was like, wow, maybe I should have stuck around. Yes. But, like, I just I think, like doing the gig, and then I like going home. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, basically, you're an introvert. Do you know basically what an introvert and extrovert means? Here's what. Let me tell you the definition and see if you fall into that. It's simple. If you're an introvert and you're out in public and you're performing or you're talking or you're at a party or whatever, that interaction makes your battery, takes the juice out of your battery. Oh, yeah. If you are an extrovert and you're doing that, it charges your battery. If you're an introvert, you got to go home and charge that battery again before you go out. Yeah, that makes, yeah, I'm definitely an introvert because, like, after a show, I just, like, have to be alone and just... Just gotta unwind because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it doesn't do anything to charge me up. <laughs> yeah. So, would you say that all of this starts this twenty-plus year career and relationship with music all starts with a song? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, when when I started, like, well, let's see, I never really thought to do music because I thought you had to be able to play guitar or be able to sing really well and and I never thought I could do either and then I met Lou in this acting class and um, I've told this story before but we're driving around on like our second or third date and she's where were you by the way in in Buffalo okay yeah we took lessons at Studio Arena (laughs) and uh and we're driving around, and she's got this country station on. And I start humming along to the song. And she goes, oh, you know this song? And I said, no. And she goes, well, how do you, it seems like you know it. I said, I just kind of know where it's going. And uh, and she's, what do you mean? She said, oh, I just know, like, this is the way it should go, and that's the way it is going. She goes, you ever write a song? I said, well, I fooled around a little in California. I had this friend who used to write poetry, and I'd, put his poetry to music but I never thought anything of it she said well write a song so I wrote like uh, like the two lines to Louis and I played it for can you say him <clears throat> can I sing him say him or sing say him uh, I just met a girl named Louis uh, I admit at first she threw me I've not often been a smart man always leading from the heart man then one day I spoke with Louis I discovered she was truly something quite extraordinary I was quite amazed beautiful so 
Loves like, it yeah, still so, to this date. So, yeah, I got her hook, line, and sinker, right? You know? <laughs> so, and you write a song for so, her. Yep. That's the way to a woman's heart. Yeah, so we get married. So they say. And okay. she's like, you got a really good voice, you know, and you have a gift, and you should be out there singing. And this went on for, like, like five years. Are you kidding me? No. No, we can... She's what were you doing in the meantime in those five years? Just working. What was your job? I worked for a paint company delivering paints and and driving around automotive paints. Mm-hmm. J. W. Lewis. Good. That's a, yeah, Shout it was a out. good job. Yeah, shit. Well, there, he's Shout dead. Up. He's oh. dead now. <laughs> Shout out to heaven. <laughs> Shout up. Shout up, J. W. That was a great job. He like gave us these incredible bonuses at the end of the year, like three thousand dollar bonuses and a bottle of whiskey and a box of candy for our wives. And, oh. And that's uh, when I hurt my back, and and uh, it was during the convalescence that uh, I wrote "Ignorant." And then, you know, I used to always like drive around like singing in my head, but it was just making them up. This you know, is a, that's a very interesting and unique sort of story. So it wasn't really if it wasn't for Lou, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have done it. No. Didn't you grow up in a family with a lot of music? Your sister's an amazing <clears throat> singer as well. Yeah. Mary Stahl, yes. Yeah, and Marky played yeah. piano. And um, Mom was a great singer. Dad sang, but they always had, like, some records player playing. And, like, everybody's into music, I guess, but we weren't, like, the Von Trapps or anything. Mm-hmm. Von Trapps. Von Trapp, Von Trapp. Sorry. Well, maybe trap. the, the I was using my Australian, <laughs> no, Austrian accent. <laughs> Good night, mate. <laughs> on Trump. <laughs> you suckered me into that one. Here, here we go again. You trapped me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, I had a question, and it wasn't. Oh, shoot. Let's just keep moving now, okay? I want to actually, I do remember. It sounds like your family valued, put some value on the idea of music. Not every family had records playing in their in their living rooms often, right? Don't you think? I used to sit, like, in the, it was the sun porch, like, right next to the, the stereo, like a monkey's record playing, like, singing along. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, Peggy yelling, turn it down! <laughs> so it was always, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was encouraged, but like Mary was the star. She was the oldest of the family and she was an actress and a singer and she like won like awards and stuff and she got a scholarship. And so I always, my dream was to be her manager and like ride her coattails. Of, you would have been a horrible manager. I know. You could have ruined her <laughs> well, career because. I, I wanted to ride her coattails is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I thought managing was what. It was. Uh-huh. Luckily, she said no. She said, get away from my coattails. No, she signed one of her programs, and I still have it. It says to Tom, my manager. Oh, how cute. Love mares. Yeah, I think I have it in my guitar case. Yeah. By the way, people listening, check out the music, the singing of Mary Stahl. She's a jazz singer. She sings jazzy. All that fancy stuff. Fancy jazz. Yeah. Everyone want to hear a funny story? Sure. One time, well, I sang on a couple of, couple of her CDs, and uh, my mother heard them, and she goes, you know, you should use your real voice when you sing your songs. Oh. <laughs> yes. So I was really encouraged to be the singer. 
I want. I actually. She said check no, those no, no. She like apologized give and a, stuff. Give us Ace. the name. Give us the name of a um, song that you sang on of Mary's. Um, young at heart. Okay, I'm gonna check it out. Young at heart. Are you young at heart? Yeah, my heart ain't that young, but my heart is older than my youngness. There's a lie right know. there. I know. I know. I can't even help myself, Allison. <laughs> My grandmother used to say, we sitting at a kitchen table. My grandma very often. got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this story, and this is going to lead to a question. My grandmother okay. and I sometimes sat at our kitchen table, and I would say to her, Grandma, how old do you feel inside? And she said, I feel like I'm 16. I always felt like I was 16. And she said, How old do you feel? And I go, I feel like I'm 12. And I still do. Inside me, I still feel like I'm 12. So, how old do you think you are? Hmm. I think like 21. Really? Yeah, I can drink legally. (laughs) I like to sneak and drink. I like that. Oh, that's not bad Or actually, no, at 12. You could. The good news about 12 is I didn't even want to drink. It was like the last year probably I didn't want to drink alcohol. Huh. Yeah. So anyways, um, can you, I'm not going to pause it, but I'm going to tell my dog to um, stop barking. And so I won't yell in the soap. Oh, he stopped. I thought you were going to do it, like, telepathically. I think I did. <laughs> I, I think I did. Um, actually, here's a question. Why do you like writing songs? It's like a magic trick it, that I know. It's, it's just magic. Like, like I've had people like say, hey, hey, we should write together sometime. I'm like, oh, that sounds like work or something. It's, and... and I don't know, there's nothing better than when you get a song and and you, 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 you think it's really good. Do you mm-hmm. struggle with songwriting? No. Not at all? Like, but do you know... I don't really try. Like, if they pop into my head, fine. If they don't, like, there's some things that'll come along. I said, oh, you already said that. You don't have to say that again. You, so part of you has to be, like, the editor of your own songwriting, right? Because... Yeah, I don't, like, I've heard, like, there's a school of thought where, you know, you want to be a writer, you just write, you got to write, you got to write, you got to write. And I'm like, like, well, somebody said, well, I've written, like, a thousand songs, you know, but, like, 800 of them are crap. I said, well, nobody needs 800 crappy songs. (laughs) (laughs) So why do you even bother writing them? I mean, if, if if it doesn't move me... Like, why is it going to move well, anybody else? Isn't there... I'm sure... Not that I've written some dogs. I said, well, this is like, you know, you didn't have to do that. And, but you but you decide that, okay, I'm not going to use that song in my repertoire because it's not good, right, at that point? I pretty much use everything I've written. That's very interesting. So your process is... I just can't even put it into words because it's so different. That, so that... There, you don't do a lot of crafting with it, do you? Well, like, there's, like, when I get something that I want to finish, I mean, that's when the craft comes in. You know, you got to hammer and nail it together, and that's, like, do you like, that's a do process. Do you like that part of the process? Yeah, it's fun, because that's when, like, the magic happens. Like, you're, you're just playing around, and, you know, I have this, my book, and... And my rhymes where I just like write down well if I'm saying like orange there's nothing rhyme with orange and then you then you write down everything that rhymes with orange and you know and then 
and then like magically something comes together. It's like wow, that's a really cool line. And and some of the best lines I've written. It's like, oh, what does that mean? I said, I don't know, but it sounds cool. Okay, so that's interesting, too, now. So I'm not saying anything. I'm just making up words. But then the funny <laughs> thing is, they, it does mean something, even to you. Don't you think when you're like, oh, that's what I was thinking when I wrote that? It does mean something. Usually. But I took this course, uh, this English course in, in college, and uh, I forget. I wish I would have remembered what the book was, but you had to like interpret what the author was saying. And I had my interpretation, and I presented it. And the prof- professor said, "No, that's not what it means." I was like, "How do you know? You didn't write the book. I mean, it, it means that to me." So I've I've uh, definitely written some songs that I want people to think mean something. When I know they don't mean anything. Uh-huh. And that's like just a little joke in my head. I love it. I love it. it. It's fun for me. I used to like put people's names in songs and like spell them out. And I, yeah. I, I played games with the, the yeah. craft and like trying <laughs> to like say yeah. stuff without hurting people's feelings. Sure. But I know what it means. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. love that. So, yeah. yes. That I, that's the craft part. And, yeah. Uh-huh. See, this one hay burner. And I'm like on my ass just about. Are we still recording? <laughs> yeah, we are. You know why? Because I'm trying to get a sponsorship from Big Ditch. <laughs> That's a good idea. You mm-hmm. should. Big Ditch Hay Burner. Let's, let's, okay, let's do this. Open it and, and pretend you're doing a commercial. Let's hear it. Okay. Big Ditch. When you're ready for the ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, that's the best. Her big ditch will put you in a ditch. Yes, but so drink responsibly. Wait, can you do it again? Because, oh, because listen, you can't say the same word to rhyme with it. I know. Yeah, but I can. I guess you can. No, but I was just kidding. Ditch, I, you don't shouldn't. Say the I would um, Yeah, I know. What do you mean? Oh, what about big ditch? Hitch. When you know which is which. How about that? When you're... Wait, when you're... Man. Don't say it out loud. Okay, go ahead. Do it. Just do it again. Take another sip and then do the commercial again. And action. That's too much pressure. <laughs> I was thinking of the answer. You can't. All right, let's try it again. And action. No, no action yet. Wait till I think. I'm thinking. I don't know. I'm just thinking I'm pressured. Big ditch. Hmm. Yeah, too much time. We gotta move on. Okay. But I'll, I will write them a letter and ask them and direct them to this. And maybe I'll get a sponsorship. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna ask for a T-shirt for you. All okay. right. All right. Um. Yes. Let's talk about anxiety. I'm stuck on big ditch. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do this commercial. Maybe you should pause there and just let me think a few minutes. All right, hold on. We'll be right back. Okay. And we're back. Go ahead, Tom. Big ditch. If you think there's a glitch. And it ain't big ditch. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> it was <an> awesome. <laughs> All right. Wow, that took thirty seconds for me Let's to think of that. <laughs> That's fucking genius. We um, <laughs> I have to just admit to you that I'm the worst technical podcast. Like I keep looking at my computer, and our, when we talk, our voices are all over. Like it's because you got your headphones com- on. No, well, anyways, <laughs> here's what I want to say. 
if we could change gears, let I do want to talk about anxiety. Okay. Because it has been such a big part of my my I don't even want to say career, my existence when it comes to life actually, but also part of that performing social anxiety, all sorts of things. So and I do remember that at least in the 90s, we both had that same problem. And we were both very popular. And no one could drag us to get on the stage <laughs> because we wanted to literally not go, not be there. But for me, always when I got on the stage, I was fine. I had no fear. That's why I like being on the stage because it removes all yeah, of my that's real what I meant, Like getting there, though. Is, yeah, so why do you, like, when you were a little boy, did you have problems with anxiety as well? Uh, oh, wow. We can go really deep here. I mean, like, you, you don't want people to laugh at you. What if you're not good enough? Mm. You want to hear a really sad story? I think so. Okay, I knew you would. Okay, um, was it third or fourth? Third grade. We, me, my mom takes us out shopping. I see these pants. They have, like, green, orange, red, yellow pants. They're like just multicolored pants. I want these pants. My mother says, okay, you can get them. I get these pants. Third grade. I'm in class. The teacher, I'm thinking she's loving these pants. <laughs> these multicolored pants. She takes me up to the fourth grade to show Mrs. Brust, the fourth grade teacher. Mrs. And her, who? Mrs. Brust. Mrs. Who? Brust. Brust? Brust. B-R-U-S-T. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think it's your lesbianism coming through, Allison. Keep Brust. Going. Brust. <laughs> Keep going with so she takes me in there, and I'm thinking, I got the coolest pants in the world. And, like, everybody's just laughing at me. And, and she's, like, laughing, and she goes, and he picked them out himself. <laughs> and no. she thought, yeah. Tom, that's the worst I story. know. And what do you hear? Fucking here, Mrs. Breast. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the best part of the whole story. Is it the breast part? The, no, this is the breast part. <laughs> So this, I, I have these pants, and I kind of outgrow them, because I still dig them. <laughs> and I cut them down to shorts, and <laughs> and so during the summer, I go over to my buddy's house, and his his parents' new couch are my pants. <laughs> no! <laughs> so I never wore them again. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe Mrs. Breast was right. <laughs> or left. This. <laughs> oh my god. Yep, isn't that sad? That is very sad, but yeah, I think so you handled it like a champ. You know what I mean? Yeah, until to, I sat on my buddy's you couch. Had to, you had to fly your freak flag at an early age, right? I did. That was always weird, I guess. Oh, Tom, I love you. We, let's, we have to keep talking, but let's try to keep it under two hours, okay? <laughs> we'll hear the radio shutting off all across America. If we oh, go too really? Far. Maybe we're really interesting to each Let's other. Let's find out. Yeah, to each other. Um, okay, you have how many albums? Nine or ten? I think eleven or twelve. If I you see. count, there's a live one. 
and there were actually there were two live ones, but the one we just like I it was like a bootleg live and I sold like a hundred and I said, nah, that's an I didn't feel like printing up anymore. Um, that was it. So I yeah, like I think ten studio. Um, question for you, because we have a lot of people who listen to this who are aspiring musicians. Mm-hmm. They want to do it. so. Can you tell me like how what's the undertaking of doing an album? When do you decide? How much work is it? What happens? Well, when I first started, I, I just the songs just like. I just wrote about, oh, I th- I'll write about that, I'll write about that, and I just kept on writing and writing. So I always, the rule was if I had enough for the next CD, then I would do that one. So I was always like 10 songs ahead of the next CD. Mm-hmm. And then after we put out like four or five, and I think it was, and then it was just like, it just slowed down. That's That's probably the function of so many things, first of all. The change, the culture that was changing underneath that happening. Right? Yeah. The as if that was the '90s, you know, after our sort of like few years of like being the popular music, then sort of like new things came in and guitar, acoustic guitar, singer songwriter, sure was always there, but it wasn't um, getting the attention. Suddenly, like cooler things like hip hop starts taking over everything. And oh yeah. All sorts of other other like trends underneath so i think the hard thing to do was maybe like not take that personally because it would be it's so easy to take that personally right yeah why do you pers- why did you keep doing it after that um just for posterity i guess just like here's this song i like this song so but like the last couple of cds i mean i used to we'd make a cd and i'd sell them I'd get the money and then I'd make another one because yeah, mm-hmm. you. And but the last couple, like nobody's buying CDs That's anymore. Tr- so true. I got the the tenth, I guess tenth CD. I got it in the mail, and I couldn't play it because my car didn't have a CD player. <laughs> I was like, oh wow, this is this is like telling me something. Yeah, actually, we're in the same boat. We both sort of boom didn't we just were ourselves writing songs and suddenly we get all this attention yeah we get all these gigs yeah and then we start i at least started to assume that's that's normal that's how that's just what it is so when times yeah, change it was pretty easy. it's not happening anymore you're you then you have to go deeper in and think about wait a minute why did i start doing this in the first place why do i want to continue to do it why is what i do important Right? Yeah, well, now I pretty much just play whenever I want. Like, I, if somebody asks me to play, I'll play. I'm not really that aggressive. I, I got um, mm-hmm. my, my brother in law, he books us like pretty regularly during the summer and stuff, mm-hmm. and, and those are always fun. But I just kind of, that's success is a good song and, and, a, and a nice gig. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm, I don't know when it stopped being more than that or less than that, less than what we thought it was. Does that mean? There's another song right there, mm-hmm. less than what we thought it was, hmm. whatever that means. Yeah. Right? We don't know, so that that's what and makes it, it even better. <laughs> we don't even know what it meant. Somebody else does. Yep. 
Um, do you think we could switch gears and start talking about Michael Meldrum at this point? Absolutely. Do you want to take a little break? No, I just want to talk about me more, though. <laughs> so what if I stop recording and you can keep talking about yourself, and then when you're done, <laughs> I'll, put the, I'll put it on again. Okay. All right? Okay. You're not really stopping, are you? Okay, no, go. I'm not stopping. Yeah, I didn't think I'm so. never stopping. What else do you want to say about yourself, Tom? No. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm boring. You know what arrogant. I want to say about you? Arrogant you remember, and boring. Do you remember last Christmas at when you played my sister, Natalie, has a dog rescue called yeah, Hamburg Mutz for Freedom, mm-hmm. and you and so many other awesome people are so kind to come and play at her fundraisers. It was a great show. Last year, something happened. Do you remember? I stole your brother-in-law's coat. Yes. <laughs> do you mean that? Yeah. Can you just tell the story. Go ahead. Well, it was winter. T- it, was it was winter. I took the gig, yeah, and I, I and I put on this coat and Go with home. my coat. It looked just like my coat. It was just like my coat. I said, "Wow, I must have gained a little weight. This a little tight on me." <laughs> but I went home and there was like smokes in the pocket. I'm thinking, "Geez, somebody put smokes in my pocket?" Because I'm telling, it was the exact same coat. <laughs> and then I realized, huh? Maybe it's not your coat because <laughs> it is a little tight. <laughs> So I went back and, and you know, I had Gray's coat back. Coat back. <laughs> and now, you know, mine is so big and bulky. This is the exact coat, too. And, and I'm thinking I should have got a smaller size. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. And you did What's get to talk to about yourself. What's Michael Meldrum? Nothing. But okay. you wanted to talk about yourself. Here is what has to do with Michael Meldrum. Here we go. You ready? Yep. Both of us, I think, can attribute a lot of our success to Michael Meldrum. And his efforts at promoting us, right? I'll just say Michael Meldrum hosted the longest-running open mic in Buffalo, New York. I believe it was 27 years Mm -hmm. at Nietzsche's in Allentown, New York, Buffalo. He brought to Buffalo acts like who back in the day were just being discovered. Towns Van Zandt, Michelle Schott, Suzanne Vega, Cliff Eberhardt, Dave Massengill. Hawksley Workman, and there's so many others. Yeah. Um, I, I spoke to his wife, his widow, Diane. Mm-hmm. I asked her a bunch of questions, and she emailed me back these amazing answers. Okay. But um, I want to say he passed away in 2011, right? Wow, yeah. Um, David Massengill, who is a folk singer, very renowned, he, he wrote this, sent this to Diane. I'm going to start by reading this. He said... I remember Michael Meldrum as one of the most gracious and decent persons I ever met. He brought a batch of us up to Buffalo for some performances, had a good ear and a twinkle in his eye. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for Michael and rare folks like him, I couldn't have forged a career of sorts. I probably never thanked him enough, but I am grateful for his goodwill. Um, He also sort of helped Ani DeFranco along when she was young. There's many stories about that, right? Mm-hmm. And she she um, wrote something really nice that was read at his funeral, I remember. Yeah. Um, and she credits a lot of her early success to him. Okay, so um, let me do this. I'm going to tell you what, what uh, Diane said, and then we'll talk about all of her answers, okay? Okay. So first, I asked her, where was Michael born? Big family, this and that. Do you know his parents at all? Anything about his parents? She said, Michael was born in Buffalo and lived at Oak and Goodell for at least the first few years of his life. His parents, George and Marjorie, met at a diner 
where his father was a cook. His dad was a former Marine and was in construction. His mom stayed home to raise Michael and his five brothers and his sister. They had a pretty rough upbringing in so much as they moved a lot due to fires and probably a lot of just scraping by. At one point, both his parents were in the hospital. His father had back problems and was in traction for a year, um, which led to the kids being in foster care for two to three years. Okay, A little bit more. Michael's older sister was given up for adoption. Her name was Eileen, but Michael never met her. Uh, Michael's er, Michael's dad was not the father of Eileen. Michael's mother was from Rochester, and it must have been in the late 1940s that she came to Buffalo. Michael was born in 1951. Um, so the way I recall Michael telling it, she says, because his father, their father had to go to jail for something he actually did not do. So he mm. was gone for a year. Wow. And... Um, she says the kids were left at one point with no guardian while his parents were in the hospital and maybe possibly while his dad was in jail and his mother was in the hospital at some point. CPS, Child Protective Services, or whatever it was called back then, was called in. They showed up, and Michael, she guesses his age was about 12 or so, was trying to protect his the brothers and sisters, keep them together, and he got into a fight, broke or injured the arm of one of the law enforcement personnel. I didn't know that. So wow. the younger kids all went to foster care to a farm in Eden. The boys, the older boys, were put to work. And Michael went to juvie, okay? And eventually Michael went to a separate foster home in Tonawanda. Michael at his foster home was forced to sit at a desk and do homework for three hours a night. So when he was done with his homework, he would read the books that his foster parents had in the room that basically decorated the walls. But that's where he ended up being exposed to things, he, books he never would have been exposed to. Like she, she cites um, Guy de, de Maupassant, you know, the French writer. His name is Henri-René Albert Guy de Maupassant. Je te plaît, Yes. So... Think about that. Think That's about that. Wild. That explains a lot. What does that explain? Just like his nurturing and like, you know, taking care of people. Mm-hmm. Which he did. Yeah. Can, let's talk about that for you. He encouraged you once you got there. You went played at an open mic. Tell me what happened. Oh, jeez. No, no Michael Meldrum, no me. I went, uh, you know... Because, like, after years of me and Lou, <laughs> like, you should go out and play. No, I'm not going to go out and play. And, you know, the arguments went on. And then Sam was born. And <clears throat> I remember thinking, I was like, he was like three, I think, and for four. And I'm telling him, you can do anything you want to do. You just have to do it. And then I realized, you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm not walking the walk. So I decided I'm going to go and I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to sing in front of people because, you know, I got a kid and I got to prove to him that you can really do things. And so I I just knew Nietzsche's was the place for music and the open mic and Mike Meltem just through his reputation. That was the place to go. So I started, it was November of uh, 94, and 
I take my I took my guitar and said, "Okay, I'm going." And and every week I never went up. This went on for like November through December, and then uh, it was New Year's, and I said, "Okay, I got a New Year's resolution. I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna like you know show that this is what you have to do." So it was January second when I got there, and I, again I'm sitting there. And and everybody does their songs, and didn't go up again. And I start walking out, and Michael Meldrum says, "Nobody's going to hurt you." So did you play? Yep. Yeah. So I played, and like I did, you know, I've been there like for weeks. Should I take this? Sure. Okay. And I'll go kill my dog. What room? Lou, put her up to the microphone because she's okay. going to be in the podcast. Lou, we talked about you and how you encouraged Tom. What do you think? Wait, what'd she say? <laughs> I said that we were just talking about you and how much you are responsible for uh, Tom's career. Aww. Oh, that's so sweet. I didn't do anything. <laughs> I was just, you know, I was just a witness to the talent of both of you. I love you both. Thank you, Louie. Remind him about the detergent and the creamer. Okay. <laughs> Tom, buy a detergent, detergent and creamer. And creamer. That's it. I mean, there's more, of course, but, you know, that's all we need to get through tomorrow. That's all we need. That's a song right there. All you need is creamer and detergent. <laughs> all you need is creamer and detergent. <laughs> okay. I have a chance to see uh, Crash Test Dummies tonight. You should go. I don't like concerts. Don't go. She said don't go. That's a whole other podcast. Okay. <laughs> Love you too. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, Al. Bye. Oh, wow. That is a lot of... I want to read this anecdote from Rod <laughs> McDonald about Michael, okay? It's another person. I didn't finish the story. Oh, go ahead. Come on. So... So he's sitting there, he goes, ah, come on. So he's, he's sitting at the bar there, and he had a glass of wine. And I played, like, one song. I had, like, three songs. And I played one song. And, you know, he's sitting there at the bar. And then all of a sudden he turns around after the first one. He goes, well, you, let's hear another. And and then I, I played another. And it was like, he goes, you're a songwriter. Hmm. And I was like, I am? Mm-hmm. I didn't say I am. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Huge moment. Yeah. yeah. I want to read this that Rod McDonald uh, told Diane about this, this anecdote. He says, uh, one year, maybe 1983, I was there in Buffalo when a student returned a guitar he bought from Mike, a 1950s Gibson LG1. Mike gave him his money back immediately. I sat on the porch and played it for a couple hours, and that night he said he could pay me for the show and have no money for himself, or he could give me the guitar. I took the guitar, and I still have it. I play it. I don't play it often, but I consider it something I will never part with. Um, so, again, that, that generosity, that generous spirit that he had, right? Yeah. Um, I, I asked her this question, which always... I always wanted to know. I never got the chance to ask him, and I wish I had, but her answer is very important. 
I said Michael is credited with being a mentor for so many people, Western New York and beyond, Toronto, New York City. Why was he so selfless in promoting others? His own songwriting was so good, very good. And why did he put himself on the back burner, so to speak, in order to help other people? That's what I wanted to know. She said this. She goes, I'm not really certain, but I think he had such an appreciation for good music that by bringing in out-of-town acts himself, it enabled him to hear some awesome live music. And maybe that then thrust him into what was that of a promoter role. Having the open mic night put him in a very good position to find talent, and then already having that night slot, he could expand it by featuring songwriters that were on tour. She says, but I also know that he would have loved someone to promote him the way he did others. So, what do you think about that? Yeah, I can see that. And, you know, that's, that's just like the, the way we were talking before, you know. You know, that's the way somebody finds you, they hears you, and they want to promote you. Mm-hmm. I asked her about this. Was he ever concerned about security, about, like, financial security, right? Yeah. Because I know for myself and everybody I've talked to on this podcast, and probably you, I would think, like, this is, this is an issue that we have to deal with. What, what are, where are our priorities, right? Let's see. How did he feel? And so, listen, I, let's see, I'll just read it. In other words, I don't think he was ever too concerned about security, about things. Is this true? And if it is true, how did it feel to be married to someone who did not provide in a monetary sense? This is a tough sort of area, right? Because of yeah, he he provided so much to so many people, and in our country, our culture, we put so much value on things that are consumer, like things, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let me just read her answer, and I'd like to see if you want, can talk about it a little bit. She said, when I first met Michael, he led a self-described Spartan lifestyle. She says, that was a rather unabashed and elegant way to tell someone you're poor. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, he embraced a bohemian way of life, at least before meeting me. Having kids and owning a home turned that on its head, though. Then it felt like more of a struggle, I think. We each had our own frustrations, He blamed home life responsibilities for suppressing his creative juices, and I would have liked to have had the ability to have someone to fall back on if I were to leave the security of my soul-crushing job, she said. She says that took a dark turn, didn't it? Um, So very well said by Diane. And um, what do you think about that whole concept? Yeah, absolutely. I lived it. You know, Louis, Louis is the main provider. And you know, I have it. I have the day job, mm-hmm. which I kind of felt was like the end of the the dream. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just. I think it's so weird that we're getting the same money we got like twenty years ago. Exactly. <laughs> Try thirty years ago. Yeah, it's just like. Wow, everybody seems to be moving up the pay scale, except for musicians. And I think, you know what, I think, I think we're cobblers, meaning 
this sounds this is going to sound so negative and it's really not but like people who make and fix shoes cobblers there used to be like probably 400 of them in new york state right do you know what i mean and that was their job and their craft and that's what they were good at now there's maybe I think I read an article. guy in hamburger. And they just did an article about him because what he does is so rare. Okay. But do you think that we're going the way of the cobbler? (laughs) Hmm. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Yeah, We might be. (laughs) I think there's more reason that we have to keep doing it. Maybe we're blacksmiths. Do you want to be a blacksmith or a cobbler? I like horses. (laughs) Okay. I want to be a cobbler because it sounds like dessert. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, you, you well, being it might not be true, but the thing is, that's why I think it's so important that we keep doing it and we live it. Hmm. Do you agree? Well, I think we do it because we have to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just what else <laughs> are you going to do? That's who we are. You know, someone said I was a songwriter. Mike Melder, I curse you the day you <laughs> called me a songwriter. <laughs> But that's just kind of it. I mean, that's the best. And by the way, having said that, on the other side of that same coin, I feel so lucky. Right? Don't you? That we, You found what you love, and you actually did it and are doing it. Yeah. Right? If you can't have fun doing music, don't do it. That's right. The thing I realized now in my middle age is like, <laughs> wow, it's like, do you don't really... We, I always was, like, aiming for something, and I figured I work so I could achieve something, but really it's just in the every moment. Like, this, though, we're doing right now, this talking means something. Mm-hmm. And, like, every gig means something. Not so you can tell people how good it was, just because it is. Yeah, just to do it. I think that's, that's I hope that's what I'm remembered. Someone says, he, he wrote a nice song, you know. That's, yeah. He wasn't too annoying. Well, don't push it. <laughs> Michael, Big oh, ditch. When <laughs> Michael Meldrum, let's, um, if we could sort of wrap this up with, see if we can think of anything fun and funny about Michael Meldrum. I remember the first time he talked to me. You know, Flyers. Was, what? Flyers? Oh, God. You got to hang flyers. You got to hang flyers. <laughs> oh, yeah, the flyers. Yeah, we used to like run out, we'd get a gig and got to put up flyers on she talked about that too. That was one of the things she answered. And, and by the way, she said that actually was a very good way of networking and promoting. Yeah, it was the only way back then. And, you know, and he would have thrived, I think, with uh, social media. You know, he would have been like in his glory. He would have had like he would have been a uh, what's the word? An influencer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. You would have heard us and said, "Oh, you got to hear this." and I think the first thing he ever said to me was the word pesto, because he was walking around Nietzsche's with a, t- a canister container of pesto, and he opened it up, and he goes, pesto? And I was, <laughs> offered me some pesto. Yeah. It's at one party at, at his house on uh, Edward. Mm-hmm. Did you go when they served pesto? No. I didn't know what pesto was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Are you serious? I'm serious. I, Eric, uh, 
uh, Eric Zweig from uh, Rochester was there, and we like you know we'd go to Mike's <laughs> and we'd play guitars. And they were having pesto. I didn't know it so was like this green stuff. I still don't know what it is. There's something like a green this, stuff. There's a lot of garlic in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I didn't want to get into that part. Pesto party. Yeah, it was like we're having pesto. I should have asked Diana. It was about like that. we're there. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any advice you would give to young people who are starting a career in music? Yeah, if you're going to do it on your own, God bless you. And if you're going to if you're going to have a spouse or something, God bless them. Because mm-hmm. it's it's not easy to be the the partner of someone who does things like this. I don't think Lou yeah. has any regrets, though. I mean, honestly, because. No, no. She she's told me a hundred times, like you know, you, you know, the joy that my music has brought to her immediate family, like mm-hmm. her sisters, all right, like and her and her dad and mom at every gig dancing, and you know, she's mm-hmm. she's just like she wouldn't trade it for the world. It's beautiful. You know? Yeah. Thank you for coming here today. What do you mean? Is this it? This is no. This is the end of segment one. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good thing. But honestly, will you... I, I'm going to do first... I decided I'm going to do 20 episodes and then take a little break for a few months. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be season one. But will you come back in season two? Yeah. Can I be number 20? Of this season? Yeah, like put this one on hold and then like get like seven look, more. I and then make will. me number 20, like the finale. <sighs> It won't I, I work now that I said that. One. Can I just call this episode number one? Yeah. You're number one. Well, you asked me to be number one, and I just yeah. have nothing to say. Now you do. <laughs> we had we only had one hour of something to say. Yay! You talked you about Devon so. Trops. We Von did. Trops. Traps. Mrs. Breast. <laughs> Rust. <laughs> you made a commercial for Big Ditch Beer. I did. This has been fruitful. Yes. Fruitful. What a fruitful Friday we what just had. What a fun time being with you. Thanks, Tom. I and love you. I love you, too. Talk to you soon, buddy. Don't take my coat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot this week. I learned that we say Barcelona... Because once a king in Spain had a lisp. I learned that Tom Stahl's family puts creamer in their coffee, not regular milk or almond milk, as I like to do. (laughs) And I learned that Tom Stahl would make a very good blacksmith. So if you ever have a horse that needs a shoe, just email me at thegreatunsung at gmail.com and I will give you Tom Stahl's telephone number. Um, Thank you so much to Tom for coming and having an awesome, fun afternoon with me. I had a lot of laughs. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please continue to support Tom Stahl's music. Um, You can find it online. He's got 10 CDs that we would love if you would download, buy, stream, whatever. So you can just get to know his music. Um, Please continue to support this podcast by subscribing, sharing, And that's all I got. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Great Unsung.